Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer Mark Poise. Mark has performed in front of millions of people over many continents with artists including Tyler Farr, Lindsay L., Chuck Wicks, John Cicada, Lita Ford, and Ghost of Gloria. His current role as drummer, bandleader, and programmer with the multi-platinum country artist Tyler Farr has involved nearly a decade of touring, major network television appearances, and a Super Bowl pregame show. As an ICF professional certified coach, Mark holds the gold standard credential for coaching, He has built real-world experience, not just with individuals in the entertainment industry, but also with leaders and high performers at companies such as AT&T, IBM, Boeing, Capital One, Warner Brothers, Discovery, HelloFresh, the U.S. Department of Defense, and more. If you want to support what Zach and I have been doing here on the podcast since 2015, you can join our Patreon page for as little as a dollar a month. You can access the bonus material that our former guests have contributed. This includes song breakdowns by Will Kennedy and Ash Sohn, just to name a few. Aaron Apters on there talks about load versus capacity with uh, physical aspects of drumming. And as of this recording of April 2023, we have a recent former guest, Kyle May, who talks about the different snare drums he uses in his home recording. And it's, it's just amazing. It's almost 20 minutes of him going through this amazing track and his great performance. So, so again, for as little as a dollar a month, you can access all this bonus material. And if Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find that link on our website at workingdrummer.net. So back in 2015, I had Mark on episode 39. And one of the things that... Uh, I recognized in Mark almost immediately was not only his intelligence and his confidence, but his ability to have the humility to be open to new ideas and concepts and just learn so much from this relatively new environment that Nashville was to him back in 2015. He continues to be uh, open to learning new things as we get into in this episode with this online program he's developed the coaching practice that he's embarked on. It's always a great conversation with him. Just be prepared for a long conversation. That's what this podcast is. It can be a deep dive. It can be a long-form conversation. And this episode is no exception. Don't miss these words coming from Mark Poise. And I really enjoyed speaking with him. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mark Poise. Shedding my skin. very first day of class pursuing this whole thing i'm i'm meeting these people and i'm like i don't belong (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it was 
that, I guess that was the first time I got that sense. Like there was one person in the class who is a really successful consultant, makes like fire hoses of money going into other companies and helping fix what's wrong as a consultant, not a coach. Uh, and he was working on getting his coaching certification to up-level his own business and skill sets, etc. And lots of people, some working within companies, some that own their own companies. And I sort of felt, other, there were two that were sort of in the yoga and wellness space. But most of the people in my cohort that I learned with were people that were beyond me in age, earnings, experience, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time I was crossing that bridge with real clients... Um, I was already operating with those sort of like that unconscious competence. Like just when we sit down at a drum kit, like I don't need to make my right foot go this place and my left hand go there. I'm playing a groove. I've built this competence that just kind of carries through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the same thing was true coaching wise. By the time I was doing that with anyone for money, you know, hired for this task, um, I was really comfortable because I had learned it was just such a great learning experience. Um, uh, I'm so glad that I stepped out of my comfort zone. I didn't go learn how to do this with a bunch of musicians, you know? Right, right. That becomes our community. And sometimes I think we fail to see beyond that. And we may miss opportunities to meet people. I think that's what I love about meeting people on planes when you're sitting next to somebody mm-hmm. and you strike up a conversation and it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. I try and reserve any information about myself as long as I can because people are interested in music and what you do and how it's done that I really want to know what's going on with them to kind of find out because we're surrounded by, with the exception maybe of our direct family or whatever, by all somewhat like-minded people. Yeah, And yet... In the business, in the business of music, we have to be able to navigate those personalities in the business world, in the more kind of um, the strict parameters that are inherent in some of those things. Um, So that must have been eye-opening and exciting at all at the same time. Yeah. Well, I I love what you just said about the airplane thing, because to me, it curiosity is so powerful yep and um you know not speaking of the larger culture that we're in but um with any of us there's almost a temptation to become less curious as you know more things and you've done more things that there's this impression that you should be less curious Mm -hmm. because you know um and for me it really is it's a skill and a virtue at the same time and i try to do the same thing because um now what, what can be tough is when you're you're actually with someone whether you realize it or not, who also leans into that same curiosity, that can be a very interesting conversation to have because Mm -hmm. you can't like, um, it's like your move, friend. (laughs) No, no, I insist, your move. Um, It can be really interesting to see that play out. But most of the people that we're going to find ourselves anywhere with aren't really um, thinking in that way Mm -hmm. because our culture doesn't operate very much that way. But curiosity that's something that I try lately even with playing and my music career, whether, like whether it's the literal playing or the larger career right. as a player. Right. Like how can I remain curious? Mm-hmm. Because the worst thing that can happen is I start saying, I've done this, I know this, I've experienced this, I can do this. All this certainty just ends up putting me in a box. 
Yeah. And I, I might pretend that that's a big box, but I'm still in a box. Like that's not actually helping me. Right. Um, so, you know, what do I hear today playing with these people, even though we may be playing our 1200th show together? Yeah. What do I hear? Yeah. What do I notice? You know, instead of just autopilot, you know, what do I hear in this random new artist that I decided to pick up playing with this week? Busy week in Nashville, CMA Fest, a couple songs, been there, done that. We could all fall into that. But but what could I learn? What could I hear? What could surprise me? Yeah. What's completely off my radar? And people pick up on that. They pick up on that energy that you are engaged if you're working with someone new and you're like, I've, I've done this. I'm, you know, I have experience, whatever. But it's like they want you to be on board. They want you to be a part of the team. You know, when you express interest in that because of your curiosity, they're like, man, I like this guy. Like he's a great player, but I feel like he's invested in my thing, my songs, my session, my whatever, my show. And so there's that trust factor that is then solidified because when you play the role of drummer the singer the the other musicians the management is putting a lot of faith and trust in you Mm -hmm. have to be Mm -hmm. you know and it takes uh, the other thing i think that comes up is it takes courage to to really be in that role of curious because there Mm -hmm. are some people that think oh the person that asks questions doesn't know doesn't Mm -hmm. have experience or maybe they're insecure. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, you, you can think whatever you want. I really have learned that there's power in curiosity. Yeah. And, and being willing to be vulnerable and ask a question where it's like, I, I might think I know the answer to this. I can still ask it because I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. You know, some people like that. They like to be asked questions about certain. Things. I mean, there's a point in which you're just asking way too much. And oh, of course, know. yeah, <laughs> right. There's a, there's definitely a line there, yeah. But I mean, there's there's a style of question, there's a type of question, and there's the amount of questions that actually shows that you're ready to go, you're interested, you're ready to learn, you're curious about what what the situation is, and who you're working with. You were here. Uh, I was going back through. You were here. Let me see. Uh, episode thirty nine. Wow. So we're up to like. 421 or 22 something like that so you were episode 39 back in november of 2015 you had just gotten married you were recovering after eating a boatload of wedding cake now you have a toddler you have a two-year-old i do i do (laughs) things have changed you were in and you were the new guy in nashville yeah, man, what you being able to put that that I was just married. Now I can picture everything about that. I remember the week it was in. I remember like all of those things. Obviously, our weddings, we're going to remember big events like that. But I can remember so many little things now about that. And it, it kind of makes it feel much closer. Um, it's it's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's a big gap. Eight years <laughs> only having a toddler now it was a journey with us having kids anybody who's out there uh that is um trying or thinking about trying no you're not alone if that doesn't happen the first time yeah 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 for sure um sorry that was a tangent no but. i get it that's that's life i feel you man so yeah it, it life has has changed a lot um Externally and internally. Um, mm. And yet the funny thing, I can say that and say I'm actually on the same road kick <laughs> as I no, was well, you then. You had just started. I think you had just started with Tyler. 
Uh, yeah, that was about a year and a half in. I started with Tyler in March 2014. Okay. Um, and that would have been end of October, at least when we recorded it. Yeah. It would have been end of October 2015. So, um, and when I started with him, it was immediately out of the gates sprinting because he was he was mid um quick rise you know doing all the all the big tours and all the having a few hits in a row and all that um so there was no room to breathe in those Mm -hmm. years um and so it's been it's been interesting now there's very little room to breathe but in so many different ways (laughs) right and and even at the time as i'm listening to our old interview i was trying to pick up on on kind of having this um, foresight and things that you were saying that has led you to what you're doing now, you know, and some stuff seems obvious, the gig, the playing still with Tyler Farr and stuff like that. But your curiosity in being a teacher, your curiosity in working with Rich Redman uh, with some of the drummers weekend things you were put in the mix with these other players and then you're like, what can I bring to the table? What my relatively limited experience with those guys can I offer? And you are very excited about having something unique to offer them. It's like, this is my superpower. I'm the new guy. So guess what? I'm the expert in the room when it comes to that. Being in a new town, getting a new gig. So you seem very excited and I'm like, well, this makes sense. Now that you've gone into developing this new online program, coaching, all this stuff, like, I I think I even mentioned it, like you have a a teacher soul. So do you feel like this has been a steady road to now being a coach, being a personal coach and having this online program, which we'll talk about? Yeah, um, for me... I I've it's taken me time to understand how disjointed it may seem to people that don't know me because um, these are seemingly unrelated fields, especially when when I talk about, oh, I actually coach people in the, the professional world. Um, yeah, I'm not really a, I don't call myself a life coach. I'm a personal and professional development coach. OK. And that shows up, you know, sometimes working through assessments with HR teams at, at a company. I never thought that would happen. But what I leaned into was, for me, all these things have been bound together by the theme of service to others, because music to me was always that. Um, Music to me was such a powerfully positive and healing force from the very first moment that I fell in love with it and fell in love with playing the drums. The drums were my way to connect to music. That's why, I mean, all the practice hours and years of practice was all because I loved being connected to music. I don't particularly love paradiddles. That alone doesn't get me going. Right. Um, I tell people all the time now, like, my favorite instrument is actually guitar. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. play guitar. I love listening to guitars. So I yeah. play the drums so I can listen to the guitar. It's funny. Me, t- me too. And, it, and, and like, this just happens to be the vehicle this is the role exactly. we play to be to participate in this thing that we love. Exactly. So for me, playing music, wanting to have a career in music was wanting to bring a, some amount of service to the world, other people in that way. And then the things that happen in life, you know, sometimes good things are a powerful catalyst for change. And sometimes really bad things are also powerful catalysts. I've had both um, even since that interview in 2015. Um 
a, a powerful one for me was the diagnosis and loss of my father with ALS, um, going through that process and having to confront some things that sometimes we could go a big chunk of our life without giving any attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was an evolution of trying to answer that call of service. And so, you know, people that studied with me as a drum teacher got to see my evolution as a teacher. And once I realized, you know, some guitarists would reach out to me periodically and it's like, well, clearly when I'm having a drum lesson, what are we having? And just following that flow led me to that place of just saying yes to things. And eventually that meant saying yes to, I'm going to get trained just so I can know that um, if I'm going to call myself a coach, I want to be a good one. Um, There's, there's, I have like a bit of maybe imposter syndrome might possibly apply to this, but also concern about being seen a certain way because there's so many, there's so much fakeness in that space, uh, especially in the social media side of the coaching world that I was like, let me just do this as right as I can. And that's the same reason I went to study music school, you know? So I want to unpack that right there because this whole, and for lack of a better term, people refer to coaching, life coaching, and you defined your style of coaching uh, differently. What, what did you say? Personal and professional development. Right. So there was something you had done before, and we see it a lot in social media. We see that as people are trying to like grow their skill set, find new ways to work, new ways to create income streams, especially since COVID, that that was a thing, and you see that a lot, and it becomes somewhat diluted. Did you get some certification at one level and then upped that certification to another yeah, yeah. So I, I pursued, for me, I I wanted to, uh, this is like a virtue and a flaw at the same time in me. Like, you got to do it the right way, man. Yeah. Um, so I went and, and pursued the same certification that companies look for when they're hiring executive coaches or leadership coaches at Fortune 500 companies. Um, that is through the International Coaching Federation. Basically, imagine if there was no um, American Medical Association. That's what licenses doctors and things. Mm -hmm. If there was none of that, some people would step in to fill the void and say, hey, we need to self-regulate. How are we going to do this? That's what the ICF is in the coaching world. Okay, A bunch of people that volunteer and they say, yes, we want regulation. We want standards. We want measurement. Um, The ICF serves that space and they have three certification levels. Um, Any one of them is a mark of a really good coach. I'm currently at the second one. Uh, And the third one is much, much higher as far as experience level. It's sort of like a pilot. You have flight hours. Uh We have a log of coaching hours. It's all it's all confidential and not names, but it is it is logged and official. So for me, it would be several years and a lot more money and classes for me to do that. But the pandemic allowed me to run past that first level into the second level. And that second level is called professional certified coach. And that's actually like the bar of entry for a lot of companies so okay. that that opened that door when yeah. people wonder how the heck did you do that it's like if you have this credential then these companies are willing right. to call you right and and did the people you work with connect you with gigs 
for um, lack of a better term. <laughs> not much. No, I, it's there. There are a lot of people and a lot of amazing people that want to do coaching. But but um, there's I think especially after the pandemic, there was a flood of yeah. people moving into it. A yeah. lot of them are late, actually late career professionals that um, sometimes they're just a, a victim of a layoff like ageism or something. And they're well qualified and want to move somewhere. But for me, it was it was just a couple chance things that panned out. Not not unlike my music career, you know, right. <laughs> a couple chance calls and something worked out. Um, you know, I got involved. One of the main avenues that opened a lot of corporate doors in the beginning was a company called Better Up that is uh, a leader in the coaching space with companies. And I got on with Better Up when they were, you know, a few years ago, they were earlier in the process. Now mm-hmm. it's, it's, <laughs> there's a long line of people trying to become a Better Up coach. Um, but they placed me with a lot of my those first companies, and I still do some work with them where they place me, and I I do work in my own practice too. Okay. Um, but it's sort of like a music career where you just like right. you say yes, and some things you're like, yeah, maybe this gig isn't my gig, and this one, man, I would love a lot more calls from this direction. Yeah, yeah. Um, and still, in some cases, saying this isn't really what I want to do, but this is really good for my growth and for my experience. Sure. Um, maybe playing in a wedding or top 40 band might be the equivalent. Exactly. Of that, exactly. And there's so many parallels and it's like, you've done the work, you're kind of ready to go. You may not have a client ready to go or a gig or whatever, but it's like, you're doing the work so that when it gets, that call comes through, you're prepared. Like you mentioned before, you're like, well, your first experience, you had some experience already and some work behind that, that gave you the confidence to go in with some authority to deal with the first corporate client that you dealt with. Yeah. 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 It's a lot like, it's a lot like it it makes me think of music school. Um, You play in ensembles, right? Mm -hmm. You're not getting paid. Technically you're paying to play in them. You're paying. Yeah, right. (laughs) But, but you're not getting paid, but you're, it, it builds that confidence. So when it's like, Oh, we got a gig, you're not thinking, Oh man, am I ready for a gig? You're like, thank God I can finally get paid doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about your online program, but but before we get there, I want to ask kind of if you could give us like a broader picture of all the things you're doing besides wrangling a toddler. Um, so you have a two-year-old, but you have the touring gig with um, Tyler Farr and you've got coaching and in addition to that, you have this online program, yeah. which is there is some one-on-one components to this that requires your time and attention. Is that right? Well, yeah. So I, I also do sessions from home still. Yes. Um, periodically other studios, but a lot of it's from home. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of moving pieces. And you're still married. I am still married. See, so, yeah, yeah. that's okay. So you've got to throw that and, in the mix too. <laughs> and and yeah, and, and then the coaching thing actually has a bunch of continuing education requirements all the time. So oh my, gosh. I, my plate's full. Um, the only thing that makes it worth it is that there these are inherently fulfilling things. Um, yes. That's the difference between me and that person who's like crying about burnout. Like these things fill my cup in a good way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot going on. And with Tyler, I'm in I'm in that band leader position. So oh, great. there are aspects, you know, it's not just, yay, I show up and play drums. Um, you know, sometimes there's, you know, it's work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of them, again, it kind of, it, it all fits together and it feeds off of each other because I'm really, I'm really excited when I get to sit down and, and cut a song at home. And then I'm excited to play shows this weekend and i'm excited to have these calls that i have lined up all tomorrow morning yeah and 
And when I have time with my daughter, that is, you know, well, my daughter and my wife, family time, that's completely sacred. And I won't let anything get in the way of that. Um, what would I be as a coach if I couldn't keep that sacred, right? You know? Right. So right. for me, it's it's the integration of it all is actually that's a process in and of itself. And that's kind of an achievement in and of itself. Yeah. So I know that that's important. And I'm, um, I'm often trying to savor the challenge that it represents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we all have our bad days. I don't want to pr- pretend like it's easy. It's not easy, but it's totally worth it. Yeah. And are you feeling support from people like Tyler about um, these extra pursuits? Yeah, I think so. I, um, if I'm, if anyone is saying badly, they're doing it behind my back, and you know, I, <laughs> I, I respect I respect their um, freedom to do that. If so, yeah. I don't think that's happening. I yeah. think um, anybody that knows me well knows that everything I'm doing is is earnest. Yeah, and they also know that I would never take on something that would jeopardize the bandwidth or attention that I'm promising them. Sure. So. Um, in, in every case, and that applies to my marriage too, you know, with my uh, wife. Of course, yeah. Um, so it's, I, I would say I feel supported, although there can be, there can be rubs that are difficult to resolve. Yeah. Um, but for anyone who's doing any more than one thing in their career or in their life or whatever, you're going to have to right. prioritize and, and, yeah. and resolve some things. Because you're working with an artist at a level that this is, these are my musicians. When a, when a gig is booked, you're there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's that thing. It's like, I'm sure that if you had to, in an emergency, you could sub it out, but that's not a common thing. It's not like just, well, I'm with this band that does things. And it's like, Hey guys, I'm out this weekend and I'm out that weekend. And like, okay, cool. And they'll call somebody. It's not that simple. No, no. I, yeah, I, I actually has never dawned on me to sub the gig because right. of, of something else that, yeah. that gets first claim on the schedule. But the beauty of that is that, you know, Something the road, there's so much open time on the road, right? Anybody who's ever traveled, okay, you don't even yeah. need to yeah, be in a bus. Sure. There's so much open time. So I don't take coaching calls on the road because, you know, connectivity in a rural area could be an issue. Privacy could be an issue. But when you talk about building a course or building the back end marketing for an online course, gosh, you've got time. You know, yeah. if you're trying to brainstorm and outline and business plan, you've got time. I know. And, yeah, yeah. you know, you could you know, surf on your phone or watch TV or, or whatever. There's but. so much opportunity. That's so funny. You say that a lot of the guys I tour with that they're always like, you know, I, I, I need personal space. And so I go do my thing, take a walk, go to find a gym, whatever. And then, you know, hang out with them other times, you know, this, I think it's just more of my personality, but also I find it opportunities to edit podcast, edit track tracking sessions or whatever. And so the joke is, uh, oh, Matt's going off to do this. He's going to go do his thing. And and then I'm going to be flying to California this weekend, and we can't get in an earlier flight. So we're going to be stuck in Texas at an airport like for like eight hours on Sunday. I was like, good. I know that. I'm taking my laptop. I'm taking what I need to do some things. You know, maybe some fun things, a book, whatever. But I'm going to make sure that I'm just not sitting there staring at my phone or whatever. Yeah. Time I mean, time will get spent whether you intentionally spend it or not, right? Yeah, you know? exactly, um, exactly. But for me, you know, you, you said book. Book is, for me, it's in the category of fun 
and also work because I, you know, reading books, the kind of topics that I'm reading about, I get to apply that <laughs> in the yeah, things that I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I love reading and I've always got a book with me. And if nothing else, I can be diving through that. Right. Not to say that there's no downtime, but it's just it's looking at things and it's not like this day belongs to the road and that day. It all kind of fits together pretty well if we care enough to find the places that it can fit together. Right, right. So tell me about this, the big three steps to the big stage. So I realized um, in a nutshell, there's no professional development courses for musicians. There are lessons and there are master classes and there are clinics and there are inspirational talks and all sorts of things. But in the way that other professionals and other industries have professional development to get to the next level there's nothing like that for professional musicians yeah um so i leveraged sort of all the things you know coming up in my 20s and my early success here in nashville some of those insights about the simplicity of success is simple it's just not easy and i i was always able to distill that pretty well mm-hmm. um so i just sort of had that realization that this is unserved and so, you know, the part of you says, oh, business opportunity, but also back to that central service thing that's so important to me. Well, gosh, if if nobody has an option of where to turn when they're trying to grow, mm-hmm. I get to see and I get to see the tools that people use in the corporate world and in other industries. What do I want to do when I grow? Well, here, there, there are so many paths that you could take. There's not a single path as a musician. You're just supposed to take lessons with a bunch of great players, maybe listen to some people's stories about how they got where they got, and then you're supposed to make it all up. Yeah. And I yeah. would have loved personally, uh, you know, graduating music school, let's say at 22, coming out of university, I would have loved to have a, here is how you move to what's next. Yeah. Not like, I need the tools. No, you've got the tools. <laughs> What's next? How are you actually going to get there? Um, just like a lot of people graduate with degrees and they don't know how to run a budget or how to write a cover letter or, you know, etc. But they're, they're whizzes at whatever they do. Music and other careers aren't that different in that way. So I'm sure there were things in the corporate world that you're like, man, I, this can totally be applied to that's us. exactly um, what it is so right right so the, the course i broke down the the central tenet is the big three are you have to play the part look the part and be a good person hmm. three components mm-hmm. if you do all three of those really well and other people can see that it's a matter of time until something comes your way yeah period right um of course somebody might say but i live in in a field in north dakota well there's no opportunity there those are prerequisites you need to be somewhere that opportunity can find you sure but if you're in an area where there's reasonable expectation of opportunity play the part look the part be a good person stick it out for enough time yeah something good's going to come your way so that sort of systematic approach that i've learned as a coach and also the tour, the very real touring experience that I've had in my years on the road, I just said, well, all this can fit together and I can break these down into ways that people can measure and ways that they can assess and mm-hmm. really get specific. And if you assess something, if you measure it, you can start improving it. Right. Always. If you want, to, if you want um, improvements with your weight, 
you start you have to start weighing yourself to see what works and what doesn't. If you mm-hmm. want if you want to improve your finances, you start well you start running a budget. That's what everyone says. You mm-hmm. figure out ways to see where was I? Where am I going? What do I need to change? Yeah. So this expands a lot of people would say well just be a great player. And that was the thing I wanted most importantly to make bigger as a professional development course. Everyone who's been on the road always talks about, man, you got to be a good hang. And yeah. that was actually the most difficult one for me. Had I not gone into coaching, I wouldn't have known how to break that down. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did is I, I pulled some of the concepts from the professional world over there and created ways that people actually can look at the be a good person thing. Because before I would have just thought, well, if you just have good intentions, that'll be enough. Right. Um, Could you give us yeah. an example of something without without revealing too much? Oh, I'm not afraid to reveal. Yeah. So uh, take one of the modules, uh, one of the things. Um, yeah. So the interpersonal thing. Yeah. So that module, um, this is all in an online format. So there are, you know, I cover a lot of content yeah. and people are hopefully, you know, making some mental notes and in a lot of cases, it's like, I need to go deeper here. This has really caught my attention. I need to go deeper here. And the, they should study that on their own. I, I set the stage with a lot of key areas. And then there's an assessment process that they move into that we're leveraging a lot of the things that I just talked about. And they're supposed to see how they line up with that. So the interpersonal one, be a good person, that assessment is basically a 360 assessment. That's something that... Um, in the professional world, they use for a lot of times leaders to get feedback from direct reports, colleagues, and their bosses yes. about how they're showing up in ways that are relevant to the company values, mission, and goals. So I designed a 360. Well, what would that look like for the road? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so uh, it's a questionnaire. It's actually, it's about that one is about 15 questions. And you're giving, imagine you give it to the guitarist you work with a lot, the vocalist you work with a lot, the bassist you work with a lot, and maybe a wild card person. They're rating you on 15 targeted questions that all map directly to things that you want um, to rate well for, for the road. Right. Then you've got all these data points. Yes. If it's 15 questions and you asked four people, that means you have 60 data points on a scale of one to 10. This is now meaningful data. It's not just saying, hey, man, do you think I'm a good person? Right. You're not. Yeah, man, I'd do anything for you. (laughs) Great. Mark, he said, I'm great. I'm good to go. Check. (laughs) This this takes us to where that's really measurable. This is something. Sure, it's tough at times, too. Yes. It takes courage to do these things. Yeah. Um, And that's why some people that go through the program uh, will either want to work with me or another coach. I'm I'm not saying I'm the only coach out there. There's a lot of amazing coaches out there. But sometimes they'll say, hey, man, I I got some feedback. It's not too good. I need to figure out how to integrate this and move forward stronger Mm -hmm. as a result. But the key with all of it is building awareness of where somebody can improve. Where are the, the weaknesses? Where are the areas that can be developed? And what doesn't need your attention? Because what we do too often is we build the things that are already strong. Yeah. The gym rat is working on even more gains. Yeah. You know, the finance guy is trying to pad his portfolio even further. The drummer is building more and more chops when they could already get fired from just about any gig that they get on. (laughs) (laughs) So it's about building up the weak points um, and building that awareness of what that should look like for you. Um, it's not a prescriptive 
program where I'm saying you have to do X, you have to do Y. It's a program that says you need to have all these assessed and then you will know exactly. It's going to be plain as day exactly where you need to invest. Has that been an easy thing to plug in and say, and people are like, oh my gosh, okay, this is, you don't even have to tell me. I'm already looking at these data points. If it's been honest, yeah, it'll be super clear. Okay. Uh, It won't always feel good, but if... I mean, geez, it's worth being honest with ourselves, right? How how bad do you want what you claim you want? Yeah. So if they've gone through all three in the way I laid them out, they're going to know where is the best return on investment next, whether it's time, effort, financial. In some cases, guys go through the play the part assessment and they'll realize, man, I actually don't have all the gear I need. (laughs) Well, that's, you got to spend some money then. Okay. So so let's, let's, let's go to that one next. And, and because it is interesting that you say this thing that has come up on the podcast many times. I thought when I was young, all I had to do was get good and I would be successful. And we all know that you reach a level where you can just about handle any gig, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's more to it than that. But what are you covering? Because you're also coaching, non-drummers and non-musicians for that matter so let's since this is the working drummer let's talk about that yeah so the play the part um you did hit on it this my course isn't just for drummers i was very careful to design it so that any instrument is relevant yeah um but for a drummer they're gonna get through a module which contains you know relevant information that they they should be able to apply exactly to what they're aiming for if they can't they they really are so early in the process it's kind of a pipe dream to want to be a professional Mm -hmm. they should be able to hear this stuff and they're going to know how it applies okay but they're going to get to a point at the end of that module where they need to have an assessment done that assessment of play the part is one where actually we're going to leverage an expert Mm -hmm. so you need a mentor Mm -hmm. who has been there and done that it's like that sit down, if you got to sit down with you know, Dave Weckl and you had one lesson. Basically, this becomes, instead of, Dave, tell me all your coolest stories and teach me one of your best licks, this becomes an intensive, probably 60 minutes, where they're systematically rating you and um, grading you in every one of these areas. Areas that some of them are in time and in tunes. Musicianship, touch, tone. But also... How well do you deal with pressure? How do you deal with surprises? Yeah. How quickly can you learn material? Because you and I both know that, I mean, a, a working drummer sometimes has to learn material immediately before playing it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, is your gear where it needs to be? Only a pro who's been there and done that can actually tell you if you are. Mm-hmm. It's not enough for you to say, oh, I've got all this stuff. Man, I, I went to that show last summer and I could do what that drummer does. And it turns out that they're running Ableton and you don't, you don't know anything about Ableton. Well, that that's part of playing the part now. Yeah. So you would be calling, you know, if you wanted to be in Nashville as a drummer getting a touring gig, it would be great to call Rich Redmond or Jim Riley or Chris mm-hmm. McHugh or, you know, people have already called me for it as well. But once again, I'm not I'm not trying. I'm actually happy to send business to these guys. Right. You know, right. Um, you need to talk to someone who knows where it's clear as day to them. They're like, man, well, you don't you've got one snare drum or you've got 10 snare drums and not one of them is road ready because they're all in bad shape. Yeah. Turns yeah. out you can't tune <laughs> whatever it might be. You yeah. know, hey, yeah. you, you say you want this kind of gig, but all your symbols aren't suitable for that gig at all. 
someone who's been there and done that will notice these things immediately. And you get a scorecard and you're able to see out of a perfect score, what do I have? And then what do I need to improve? Right. What would I look like if I had a perfect score on this particular assessment? Um, So each one of them, you're actually looking in a different way. You know, that be a good person, you're, you're looking to others and you need multiple other people. Mm -hmm. This one, you need a pro who's been there and done that. They don't need to be your friend. They don't need to be... um, Probably better that they're not. Yeah, you you want honest. (laughs) Even ruthless is appropriate because we know uh, it can be ruthless to be on stage. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And the look the part is actually... That was one I wrestled with um, in designing the module, writing the narrative for it, but also the assessment because we all know that there's not one way you have to look. Yeah. It, it depends entirely on what you want and who you are as a person. Right. So that is a discussion that opens up doors to a lot of different things. And ultimately, it's a guided way that someone can assess themselves. But, yeah, I was going to ask about that because like, how do you how do you square that with um, it, it is it is a people listen with their eyes a lot of times you're hired or not hired because of the way you look and we can have this long discussion about um how society has created these false ideals about the way people need to look and all this stuff but then there's the reality and depending on the type of gig that you want it can be a key component so i i I don't even know how, if I was designing this, where I would go with with that. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, I, I use I use it as an opportunity to crack open a lot of different doors for people. Yeah. Basically saying, um, peek in here, peek in here, peek in here. If any of this is new or unsettling to you, you need to dig deeper. Mm. But when it comes to assessing yourself, it's sort of a central question. Um, if you look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Do you see what you think you're going to see? Hmm. And if not, what needs to happen? Yeah. If you have a picture of yourself that's detached from reality, and that might be the clothes you're wearing, it might be the, the, the biological body that you have. I mean, this encompasses everything. It's yeah, not, yeah, not right. just a T-shirt, right? Right. Um, but that can be the catalyst for really big change for people. And that change can serve them well beyond their career. Yeah. Right. And we're just not talking about the entertainment industry. We're talking about the way you carry yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So that it it touches on not only how do I look, but right again, how, how do I carry myself? And then how do I carry myself when I'm doing what I do? Yeah. You know, maybe I carry myself really, really well into and out of a room or a conversation, but I sit down at the drum kit and I look like a, um, you know, something that doesn't represent what I want at all. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge that rub and we need to look at ways to resolve it. So if someone is showing up and others see them as they want them to be, as they want to be seen. Yeah they're going to be on a path where they, they're going to fall into a place where they belong. They're going to fall into a place where they fit, not somewhere they don't fit. I think that's the other side of the coin there. It's like, I don't want to cut my hair. I don't want to wear these clothes and, and do that. That's not me. Great. Now you know yeah. that, and that's maybe not where you fit. Yeah. There's this idea of um, 
regret avoidance that I think is really powerful. I've been talking to people about this, uh, a few people lately about this. And it's, it's basically like, what do I need to do to avoid having regret in the future? Even if things didn't turn out the way I want. Yeah. So if I, let's say I made myself look like something that isn't authentic to me at all. Yeah. If I get everything I ever wanted, then maybe it was a gamble worth taking, but that's never a guarantee. Yeah. If I do all these things that aren't authentic to myself and I don't get what I want, well, gosh, that is some, that's a a whole chunk of life you'll never get back. Mm -hmm. That is way more regret than saying, you know what? I didn't feel the need to cater to what people asked mm-hmm. that, that wasn't authentic. I decided to lean further into what is really me. And even though I only got half of what I wanted, I still feel better about it. Yeah. That's, you know, the, these kind of conversations can be found in all different circumstances, not just mm-hmm. musical but mm-hmm. uh, or appearance-based ones. But it's the idea of, well, if you don't get anything that you want, if you're not successful what path would you have still been okay with? Because you can stand by the approach that you took. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've interacted with a lot of singer-songwriters that are working with record executives and say, well, you need to cut this kind of song and this kind of thing. And they're like, that's not me. It, what if I achieve success with those songs that aren't me? Then I'm stuck in this space that I have n- no investment in. You know, and and I think that this industry and the entertainment industry and music is so unpredictable that we find ourselves in situations we don't want to be often because we're saying yes to everything. We're saying yes to every gig before we even ask, well, who is it with? What kind of music is it? You know, and 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 it's I think it's really easy then to, to find yourself like deep into a journey with a band or a musical situation like what am i what the heck am i doing here this is not what i envisioned yeah. this is not i've worked so hard to yeah. be in saying know? yes to everything um this is maybe a hot take but to me that is for a certain season in life okay, and your perfect. career exactly and it is not for other times exactly and if you're saying hey i've got this really specific goal yeah i know exactly where i want to get um no, you shouldn't start running all over the place like a chicken with your head cut off chasing everything. Mm-hmm. You should actually maybe put some blinders on and say, I'm going to be this right. and I'm going to play this way and I'm going to look this way that is me. And I'm and this thing is more likely to to find me. And I actually don't need to be the person on every gig. That's liberating, but it also kind of can be afterburners on your progress toward your goal when everything aligns. One of the things I wrote down was, is the power of being able to say no. And I wonder if you could talk about that. And maybe you, you already are, you know, the ability to leave a situation, the ability to turn things down and the power that gives you and the space that it allows for good things to happen and the things that you want to happen. Yeah. The, the thing that I love to share is the integration of no and yes. No never exists in a vacuum. If you're saying no to something, you are saying yes to something else. Mm, Okay. And sometimes people, I work with people from time to time who have a lot of trouble saying no, whether it's desperation needing to say yes, or maybe people pleasing, any number of things. But reframing that into, well, what are you saying yes to? Just let the word no coming out of your mouth 
in your mind be yes. I am saying yes to this. By saying no to this gig, I'm saying yes to mm-hmm. being so prepared, extra prepared for this other gig that I'm really pumped about and I really want to go well. Yes. This other one's a distraction. Yes. Sorry, I'm saying yes. That might, I'm yeah, agreeing with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That that might be that might be a different way to look at things. Um saying yes to everything is when you're saying yes to the experience. You're not saying, yes, please, I need all the gigs, I need all the money, I need all the ego boost. You're saying yes to all the experience that can come your way. And that's why it fits in a season of a career when you want to build the experience as a you know, general working drummer. The and, good experience, the and, bad experience, yeah, the tough, the and you happy. Play, and you play with a big band and you play with yeah. a salsa band and you play a reggae gig and you play with a rock band and you learn all the classic country tunes and yeah, on yeah. and on. And that's great. And then you start having to be more selective one way or another. Mm-hmm. It may not be the genre of music. Maybe some people are always generalists with genre, but they end up saying yes and no to other things, whether it's because of the finances or the geographic location, or they want to travel or they don't want to yeah, travel. Yeah, yeah. Um, any number of things. There's a, a yes tied to every no, and there's a no tied to every yes. Interesting. I, I, I left a road gig last December and it I struggled with the decision to leave this gig. And when I realized that my apprehension was coming from an outside space, thinking about what would other people think? Oh, why would why would you leave this gig? Or you're doing that? It's like, well, there's my answer right there. That's why I need to do this. That's I need to follow my gut and my heart as far as what I needed to do. Um, and there are things that I feel like I wish I was still doing with that, but at the same time, I feel really good about that choice. And I don't know if 10 years ago I would have been able to make that choice, but I'm more confident in my ability to be able to be selective about what I want to do. And again, have the support of my family behind me to do that because they're like, if you're going to be doing music anyways, it should be fun and it should be what you want to be doing. Yeah. You know, if we're going to make the sacrifice, it should, it should be the right thing. Yeah. Don't, isn't it funny how a lot of musicians will sort of feel like they're, they're flying the finger at the rest of the world, the real world. Cause we, we never have to grow up and we do this thing yeah, outside yeah. of the mainstream. And yet, so many of us will fall into that same trap of like, well, I can't be, I can't afford to be myself. I gotta, I gotta do these things for the money. How is that any different than the person that built a whole different career just for the money? Right. Let's let's try to stay aligned. If if you already dove in the pool, my friend, yeah. Let's just keep swimming. <laughs> I think what's difficult is because if you're not an a uh, an artist as a you know a songwriter or a performer, but you're playing the role as a sideman, you know that you have to adapt. You have to find you you find yourself in situations that you're like, well, this if this was my you know if I had my own band, we'd be doing this and that. But that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to play a supporting role for this artist or on this session or whatever. So you're going to be playing a lot of music you don't want to play, or maybe at in venues that you didn't have anything to do with, but at least you didn't have that responsibility of building that brand of booking those shows and stuff like that. You're just like, you're along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain beauty in that. Cause I feel like that gives me the bandwidth 
to then find other ways to be creative. That's why I started this podcast and doing other things. It's like just finding other creative ways to kind of scratch that itch to be an individual and create in other areas that I couldn't create in the world of music. I'm not necessarily a songwriter. I'm not a front man of any sort. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do I keep playing that role as a, and I really enjoy being a side man and playing that supportive role. Come in, play drums, make everyone happy, cool, then leave. I kind of like that lack of responsibility so that I can be responsible for other things, whether it's family, friendships, um, and other creative pursuits. But still, there was that thing that was lacking in my ability to express myself. And that's where, like, well, what what can I do to do that and still be present as a side man? And that's partly where this podcast came from. Yeah, I'm mean, acknowledging that the recipe for Matt mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is one that isn't duplicated by anyone else's recipe. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, like, I can't possibly know all of the intricacy that goes into you knowing the recipe for full and fulfilled Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and a lot of times we think that there's there should be some cookie cutter. You know, if, if only I bet I bet Vinny is just so happy and everything. And if only I could be like that and have his career. And anytime you talk to you, we get to talk to any of those real pedestal heroes. We get to realize, no, that they're actually on the same kind of journey as us. Yes. Um, yes, yes. But so. but acknowledging that, yeah, you know, I don't need to do more. I don't need more ownership on show day, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You're making me think about um, an opportunity I had that I turned down, which was to add at, at one point to add tour manager to my roles. And I thought about it. And, you know, certainly there was a big financial bump offered. And that was part of why it was offered. Um, but I was like, this doesn't make any sense for me. Yeah. And I, I didn't really need to debate it at all. I I did make sure I talked to my wife before I turned it down. But I was like, this would take me away from all these other things that right. are why I do this. Right. Um, and I, I think a few people that I spoke to in the process learned about me when I was like, the only reason I'm on the road is because I love to play drums. Yeah. I'm not addicted to the road. No. <laughs> I love to go play music in front of people. Yeah. Um, if I, if I need to make more money, I'll do that other ways. Right. And in this case, I realized, I, you know, the, the coaching thing was actually going to be suffering if I took on, uh, tour managing and family time was also going to suffer because yeah. you can make those calls, but you get called back from, uh, venues and promoters, etc. on their time. <laughs> exactly. Right, right, right. So, right, right. so for me, it, it, it didn't my path what for someone else is an incredible opportunity and they're thrilled about mm -hmm. for me i was like gosh no this isn't right that's mm -hmm. not <laughs> that's yeah. not the step in the evolution of mark right, right right so you felt driven to like this i want to make this a component of 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 my life is coaching and, and things like that i mean do you ever struggle with well it's taking me away from playing drums but you're you're like i'm just more than that i need more than that and and just having this conversation i just want people to know it's like if you have other interests and other pursuits you need to to do that yeah i mean if we think about people that are really really role models mm -hmm. i can't think of anyone that is completely one-sided that doesn't mean that we can't sit down like we could totally geek out 
out about this awesome Vista Light kit that's right next to both of us here. <laughs> you know, we could, and I'm down. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I endorse Ludwig. I love Ludwig drums. Yeah, we yeah. could talk about it. We could hit them, and I'm, I'm with you. But then I also, these other things are part of me. Yeah. And that's actually made me a better player. You know, my, my right. interests, my other interests have made me the player that I am. And that's that's landed me where where I am. And right. it'll land me wherever I'm going to be next in the future, you know? Right. So for me, it's been about like, what is what is the possibility for a fully activated version of Mark? Yeah. You know, if, if I'm pulling every string that I have attached to like possibility for myself and growing, what does that look like? And there's been, there's been like a shadow side to that. Um, I feel like this would be a good venue to acknowledge it. Um, I think a lot of us, it's like, Oh man, you gotta, you gotta build, you gotta push, you gotta get the gig and you keep growing and you go to the top. And what do you do at the top? I don't know. You just keep going. And someone who cares so much about drumming and music, I fell into that trap when I was younger. And I think that sort of built a false reality and a false path for me that, oh, I should just be consumed with drums and music only my whole life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it created some uncomfortable situations for me to navigate um, in my mind and even psychologically. I had to, I had, yes, it it was beneficial to, to, I'm always learning about psychology to leverage on the coaching side, but that's, it's not just research, it's me search. Because, you know, what does it look like to have a friendlier relationship with ambition? Mm. It doesn't mean that you stop achieving things actually at all. In fact, a lot of people achieve more than they ever did before if they could let go of clinging so much to what they're aiming for. Because sometimes we can achieve even bigger things if we just hold it a little bit less tightly. Right. And for me... It's like the sound of of hitting the drum with a less tighter you know yeah. loosen that grip yeah get that bigger sound yeah don't hold on to exactly i i i get people who know me musically that wonder how coaching is pulling me away from music and i get people you know even coaching clients who aren't in music that inquire how do you coach and do all this if you're always pulled away to such a chaotic thing and i'm like man i'm just being me <laughs> this right. is a flow for me. Yeah. And I go between them and I love having, you know, 12 conversations, 15 calls or something in a week. And then I get to go hop on the bus and I go play drums and I'm just delivering it. And it's a privilege to do that. And it's yeah. a privilege to be back home sitting down at 830 on Monday morning on a video call across from someone who doesn't know anything about drums or music also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally get that. And I, I, I feel like, we we have to commit so much time to to woodshedding to to networking to uh, you know learning and growing and listening and and doing all these things that there we've all experienced that like we've been away from the kit for a while we've had other things going that have distracted us and then we have that opportunity to play that gig and you're just you're just on fire you're just in it because it's like oh yeah this is why I love this and it's such a release. And having that variety. And you mentioned these other experiences in life have made me a better player. And I'm, I imagine that the things that you're doing as far as being a student and getting certified, working with non-musicians, being able to like listen to things uh, at a 
corporate level or at a in an, in, an, in an area of focus that you're unfamiliar with, you have to be extremely engaged as a listener. And you're like, okay, this person is going to be talking about things in the corporate world that I don't have a lot of experience with. So I've got to be extra in tune with that. Well, gosh, how does that hurt you as a drummer and as a musician? And if there's anything that we have to be super in tune, especially to when the singer says something that they want you to do on the drums that is completely non-drum related. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, the the biggest challenge becomes, you know, the internal chatter, the, oh God. the internal chatter, the, which is often, you know, the voice of fear in any of the many forms that it takes. Yeah. Are, are we practicing because we would benefit by brushing up on a particular thing or are we practicing because we're afraid we're not good enough? Oh God. You know, <laughs> one is productive and the other is a whole nother podcast for that one. And, and that, you know. I, I, I had an epiphany. This is years ago. I used to live in South Florida, and for about six years after studying at the University of Miami, I was teaching private lessons at Resurrection Drums in mm-hmm. Hollywood, Florida. Mm-hmm. And they had Thomas Lang in for a clinic. <laughs> and I couldn't make the clinic. It was such a bummer. Like, I had gigs, so I couldn't make the Saturday evening clinic, which is so funny. But I heard the next Sunday, I'm in there, you know, Sunday morning teaching my lessons, and they're all blown away sharing this story about how Thomas sits right down and he is just Thomas Lang, right? Yeah. And somebody's asking about how much he warm up, warms up and practices. This is like the chatter of the group um, before the audience was there. And he's like, man, I'll be honest, I haven't touched the drums in a month. I've been here, there, I all these other business things going on. And hearing that, at first, I sort of rejected it a little bit. But this is a guy who trusts his competence. Yeah. He knows what he needs, and if it needed to be brushed up, he would have done it, but clearly it didn't need to be brushed up. Mm. He was free to do whatever else he needed to do. Yeah. Probably really productive and fulfilling things in all other areas of his life. I don't know anything about, but I know he's got a lot going on. Right. And how freeing is that to not have like the practice demon running behind you at all times mm-hmm. saying you need to shed or you won't be good enough and you'll probably lose your gig and the bass player won't like you. And <laughs> Oh yeah, dude. I mean, it's a, that's a constant struggle. We talked before we started recording about I'm meeting some new people this week uh, playing with for the first time. And I was ready a week ago, but I'm kind of doing the review so that any kind of nervous feeling or just meeting people for the first time and their impression of me for the first time is kind of overshadowed by the confidence that I get by just the reps mm-hmm. on this on the stuff. And my relationship with practicing and, and those things, I, I feel like can be toxic because I like to practice. I like to feel warmed up, but I also know people that like our friend David Black, who's like, I don't, I never practice. Mm-hmm. And like, he always sounds great. And so I'm like, I'm super jealous of that relationship that he has with that kind of thing. Yeah. So striking that balance. So it's like, okay, if you like to practice, if you want to practice, you should. But why are you doing it? Yeah. Does your practice have a focus or does it not? You know, yeah. if I sit down to practice, I, in fact, um, two weeks ago, I did sit down to practice. Uh, I don't practice much because if I'm sitting down to play, I'm working, right? Yeah. Um, but I did sit down to practice because I had just gotten a new kick drum pedal. And there's a particular part of a particular fill actually in Tyler's show that is a very quick 
single foot, very busy part in a fill, like integrated hand foot pattern thing. And with the new pedal, it was, I was sloppy the first time I played it. And I was like, oh no, oh no. Like <laughs> I, I really like having things be as articulate as they can be. So I got the pedal home, brought it off the road, brought it home. And I sat down and I played that fill and patterns like it for a solid like 30 minutes and I'm sweating like you know completely soaked this was a shed session because I had an objective I knew I had to get this thing back up to its standard mm-hmm. I had to get comfortable with the new whatever the cams different or something was different you know mm-hmm. I had a task and I took care of that task and then I could go into the next show knowing I'm good and just play the show. I'm ready. Yeah. If I were, if a call came in and something were really music that was stretching me and my facility on the drums, I'd know I needed to practice for that. But I don't need to worry about not being enough as a player. That's just gonna, that's yeah. just going to be yeah. weight on my shoulders. Yeah. I can just systematically go through and say, "Cool, work on this. That tune's a doozy. Let me do that. Yeah, I, I bet if I do that ten times, I'll be good." Sure. Whether it's the voice of fear or the voice of experience prompting us to practice, I think is the key. Sure. The voice of experience says, you probably need to give this 45 minutes or you probably need to give this set three run throughs or whatever it might be. Yeah. The voice of fear says, never enough. Going back to the coaching thing, how much back and forth are you getting with the people that you're working with? I mean, as far as you have an outline for them to do. You have the video modules for them to watch. You have these things for them to do. But are they, okay, rap session, what questions do you have for me? Do you have that? Uh, are you talking relative to the course or coaching? The course. Okay, so the course is uh, technically someone doesn't need to be in touch with me at all. Um, okay. they, they, they will use somebody for that first assessment, um, whether if they play drums, they want a, a accomplished pro drummer to assess them or guitar a guitarist likewise um for the be a good person they're going to be using colleagues so they i everything from me is done what they do get from me after a while is is that open door for hey if you are stuck because that's where coaching really excels where somebody doesn't know how to close a gap between where they are and where they want to mm-hmm, be mm-hmm. if you're stuck here is, you know, what I offer is a discount. If they want to do a little bit of coaching, a discount. And that could obviously be con- continued into a longer thing. I see. But when I somebody see. buys that course, there's no need implicit to continue with me one-on-one. It really, although there's an always an open door, it's something that's self-contained and they should go through it as prescribed. And they're probably going to know what they need to do from there. I gotcha. Um, I gotcha. On the coaching side, I, I usually customize things with people. Um, contrary to popular belief, coaching isn't giving advice. And in fact, I actually don't do a lot of talking in a coaching call. If I do my job right, someone is going to get awareness on their own. And by the time we're done, they're going to know exactly what action they're taking next. Yeah. Um, if I'm just telling them things, it goes in one ear and out the other. Right. We, we remember such a minority of what we're told, and we remember so much of what we discover on our own. Yeah, yeah. My yeah, role sure. as a coach is to help people discover things on their own. Okay. Um, and support them and keep them accountable, etc. Keep yeah. a big picture in mind. But um, with that, I, I'm careful to design um, an overview of an engagement together that works for them 
holistically, not just for their goals, but for their finances, for their schedule, everything else. I see. I see. One of the things, one of the reasons I I was trying to figure that out is uh, this thing that keeps popping up in conversations is the idea of the imposter syndrome. You even mentioned it Mm -hmm. earlier. And I'm wondering if you've ever worked with anybody or or worked with uh, or directly that has dealt with that, especially in a very competitive environment, whether it's music or otherwise, somebody that's struggling with that. Have yeah. you had any experience? Yeah, I, in in full fairness, um, yes, in music, the, the really tough cases, um, as far as I know, that term started to be coined in the 70s and really, really directed toward women in the workplace. Oy. And I have, I have had the toughest conversations that I have had about imposter syndrome are dealing with exactly that women who are not imposters whatsoever, but face, you know, in some cases, a very systemic issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that it becomes a a lot more multifaceted to deal with that authentic imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. as, as originally defined. But what we see in, in the music business where it's just like, Oh, the way I talk to myself, it's often not a systemic thing that is um, sort of, uh, targeting us in any way. Mm-hmm. It's more, you know, our self-talk. What what beliefs do we have that may not actually be true, either about other people or about ourselves? Mm-hmm. Um, what I find a lot of times is, uh, I, you and I alluded to this in a short conversation we had, I think before we got rolling. I'm not, mm-hmm. y- it was a mystery when you pressed record today. <laughs> uh, but but this idea of we we can build everyone else up to be just a transcendent master of music and they're just so well and flawless and oh my gosh, but I can see all the inconsistencies in my own playing. Yeah, um, I must not be worthy. Well, we have a very unrealistic belief about how every other musician shows up in that case. And we need to look at, you know, where did that come from? Clearly, it's something that is self-sustaining. It finds evidence to sustain it. And we need to basically replace that belief with something else. So so you're talking about things, whether it's trauma, life trauma, generational trauma, uh, uh, things that are just about who you are as an individual that finds its way in our ability or inability to be the musicians we think we should be. Uh, sometimes, yeah, but sometimes it might be a lot lighter than that. You okay. know, um, a, a phrase that I love, one of my clients uses, and he's used it so much that I started using it, uh, experiences change beliefs. Yes. So if our experience as an up-and-coming musician is perhaps you get to play with people that are older and all better than you, uh-huh. How often was that the case for for a promising player? You know, right. I, I got to be in that case where, man, you're the youngest in the room and you're you're trying to keep up. And it, it was a privilege. That was a sign of how gifted you were and, and what an aptitude you had. But that can t- become a problem because you always were the least capable in the room. You were just hanging on by the skin of your teeth. Mm-hmm. That is a really, you know, not traumatic way that this could start happening but if that never got adjusted in your mind you might carry that well into a super successful professional career Mm. i'm the worst person on stage Mm. i might be the the least experienced drummer on the bill Mm. Your, your actual your good experiences when you're younger could accidentally get woven into this narrative about you not being enough yeah so just kind of looking at it what am I telling myself? 
You know, when when I feel imposter syndrome or the things that I call that, what is the actual narrative bouncing around in my head? I love telling people to write it out. Write it on a piece of paper. As embarrassing as it sounds, write it out. So you can look at it and read it and say, okay, do I believe this? Yeah. Is this true? If you say it enough, you start to believe it. Mm-hmm. But what evidence is there that this might not be true? Mm-hmm. Or at least in this case, not be true. Uh-huh. And then you start you start taking control of your narrative. You, you say, you know what? I'm going to tweak this one word in there. I am always the worst player on the stage. Maybe that becomes, sometimes I get the privilege of being the worst player on the stage. Right. Turn that around. Total shift, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> and that's yeah. not to say that that's some panacea for everyone with this. That's just an example that, you know, the player, the gifted uh, jazz drummer who, who gets to play with all these greats coming up and they think they're never enough because they're always getting pulled along. But suddenly they're 40 years old and they are the great playing with everyone else. Inside, they still feel like they're not enough. I've had interviews with drummers that I'm like, man, you're you're great. What a great player. And they're just like, no, man, I got so much to do. And they just... They are. Uh, they have less confidence than I could have ever expected. That and there's something about that I find fascinating and revealing, but it's also, um, I think, somewhat liberating to know that we're all struggling with this at some point. But how do you manage that so that it keeps you from stopping? It keeps you from growing. Yeah, yeah. and there's a. A distinction that I like to make about what you said, where someone might say, "Oh, but I, I could, I have so much that could be better. I have so much that that should be better." If someone's judging, that's really counterproductive. If it's discernment, mm, okay. and they're just aware of, you know what? I know it's really good, but I can, I know I can be better than I am. That's it, that's hunger. That's that's a positive motivation. That's that's a difference there. That, yeah, if it might sure. be if Vinny's saying, I know I can play to a click and play you know these ridiculous parts within five milliseconds of the click with every single note. I'm I'm just making up a completely fictional scenario. <laughs> then he he it's discernment for him to say, I bet with enough work I could make it three sec three milliseconds of the click. Yeah. I bet I could get even more precise. That's positive discernment and fuel for the fire to improve. Yeah. All great. If it's judgment, you, no matter how close I get to the click, it's never enough. That's a fundamentally different statement and a fundamentally different belief system. It's almost like you were, it's almost like, uh, an, like an eating disorder where somebody is like, I need to lose this weight. And then they're just, they're dangerously underweight and they still have to lose weight. It's like, okay, this is beyond physical. This is getting into a mental thing. Yeah. Yeah. So much of the recent research in psychology and the positive psychology movement has um, really thrown weight behind the idea that it's not what happens to us. It's our story about what happens to yeah, us. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why you know one person loses a leg and their life is over, and another person loses a leg and they become some incredible uh, entrepreneur, business owner, public speaker. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's our story about what happens to us, and yeah. that applies to our playing and our playing career. Mm-hmm. That that applies to the narrative that goes on on in our head when we're playing a song. I think there's a quote from Charles Schwab who was saying, it's not what happens to you, it's how you react to it. 
Exactly. That's a play on on exactly that. that thing. Because yeah. because the the stimulus is external. Here's an event. You know? Yeah. Here's a gig. Yeah. Here's a, a crappy sounding drum kit to play for the evening, whatever it might be. The, the event is not in your control. Right. But what meaning you make of it and what sort of a narrative is set in play is then what decides what your reactions and your actions are. Yeah. And that's when people can sometimes, you know, be engaged in something that they're not happy with at all. Mm. Why do I sound so bad? Well, you, you bought into this whole storyline yeah. that didn't help you be your best. These are real struggles, man. It's 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 really crazy how me and me sharing it is not me being beyond this or past it in any way. Like I think I said already, uh, it's not research; it's me search. <laughs> it's it's more you know if I can make a little bit of progress on these, yeah, then I can help other people make a little bit of progress on these. Sure, perfection not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's like seeing the marriage counselor that's been divorced three times. Okay. <laughs> hey, uh, one thing uh, I, I want to, a couple quick things I want to cover with you is one of the things that you have on your website that I just really caught my eye was conflating or mistaking social media praise for actual professional results. I, I if I if I understand this correctly, it's um, it's just it's this unique set of hurdles in the 21st century that we have to contend with as we're trying to grow our careers, mm-hmm. as we're trying to manage it in our own psychology and all these other things, is um, how we think other people are seeing us. And now with the with social media, there's this whole new level of fuckery that is trying to mess with our brains. Mm-hmm. And it can be so arresting in our ability to become better players and stuff. So I'm curious to know what you mean by that. And I'll say it one more time. Conflating or mistaking social media praise for actual professional results. Well, I don't want to minimize anyone who is professionally on social media. Sure. Because for better or worse, that exists. It does. But if your goal is, for example, to play certain type of music for a lot of people, whether it's a sideman or the artist or whatever, it doesn't matter. And you are getting wrapped up in social media as if the, the things that are said to you there are a substitute for what you really wanted. You completely lost track of your goals. Yeah. And someone whose goals, this is really what this can lead to, is someone whose goals were um, more pure like since i was a kid i wanted to play in front of all these people but now i fake it and everyone loves me pretending that they're not detached from their goal and their authentic vision is really harmful to them yeah and that's something and i i don't i'm not saying that um i view those people harshly they need support too Mm -hmm. um it's not like oh hate hate these guys or even hate the haters like no we don't need more hate we actually need to make some space for this because social media opened up a giant giant pandora's box that none of us were prepared to deal with Mm -hmm. so what i like to uh, encourage is be really clear on what you want and stay focused on that don't confuse other things for that Mm -hmm. if you want to be fit that doesn't mean that you're really skinny 
Mm-hmm. Like you were saying about weight loss earlier. Yeah. It doesn't mean, oh, I just need to lose a lot of weight. No, maybe being really fit would mean the same number on the scale for you. So let's not confuse our goal. Yeah. And social media praise will sometimes tell someone, oh, you're the greatest, you're this. And if your goal is just to play drums on social media, then awesome, congratulations. Just keep wise of the mental health issues that are associated with that. You know? Right, right. Um, Social media is dangerous because it's just like a drug. We get a dopamine hit. Yeah. Dopamine's the chemical that makes us feel good, whether you're doing drugs or you have sex or you get praised. Mm-hmm. Social media, when you get when you post something and you get the likes, that means that you've completed the cycle of I did this action and I got the praise. I feel good. And if you are then chasing something that wasn't what you wanted, you're not that much different than a drug addict who let a drug derail their life from their actual goals. Yeah. You're just addicted to dopamine hits and you decided to take them from the place where they were easily available. Probably your phone, which because it's well, and it's it's really difficult because I think a lot of us are drawn to entertainment and and that thing because of the feeling we get by performing, by getting that reaction from the audience or the feeling we get when we're listening and playing music. So, I mean, uh, I know it's we're not unique in this industry. Uh, we're, we're not unique in this as far as addiction is concerned. Yeah. But um, at the same time, it's pretty easy to, uh, you know, walk that line in, into addiction. You know, go from a creative field into yeah. <laughs> to, so that that the quote that was the prompt of this that we're yeah, talking right. about conflating. Don't confuse. Exactly. One thing for another. Yeah. If you really want something, don't don't go looking for something else just because it's easier, it, a quicker payoff. You know, man, I'd I'd love to I'd love to be fit, but I could just take those anabolic steroids and look jacked. Yikes! Health, long term health, be damned. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. that's another example of it. Right, right. Don't confuse what you really wanted for something else. I also think there's some confusion in seeing other people's dreams and goals being realized through social media as like, do I need to be doing more of that? Like, do mm. you actually know what it is that you want? Because we see things online, we see things that other people are doing, and like, I think maybe that's what I want. It's like, do you actually know what your own dream is, your own goals are? And some people will be on social media bragging about what they got, even not wanting it. <laughs> Look yeah. at my gig. And they won't say that they hate the gig. <laughs> Look at me, tour bus. And they hate the music they're playing. I, yeah. You never know. You know, we've always, I think it's, it's out in the open, the conversation now that people always show their best on social media. Right, right. No right. one ever shows when they have a day off and they're not working. They show when they're working. They show when they got the cool gig. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, it's, it's like, was it actually your goal? Is this what you really wanted? And if it was... Oh my gosh, I want to know because that's fuel for my fire. I am so happy for you. Yeah. And you can tell, you can tell when somebody's being really honest, it's like, that's great, man. I'm here. I'm here for you. Yeah. I love that. Can we talk about how much it costs to do the online program? Yeah. um, I, I did a lot of um, sort of market feedback research um, and 
heard things all over the map. You know, Rich Redmond, really kind to me. He was like, dude, this is this course is worth like a thousand dollars because this is a life altering thing when people mm-hmm. do it right. Mm-hmm. And some people said, hey, musicians are broke. You know, you can't charge a lot. <laughs> um, so right now I'm I decided in the beginning, relatively be- beginning, it launched just a f- couple months ago. Um, it's priced at ninety nine dollars. Wow. Because what I want is enough people to have that success with it that they're willing to be the ones to share it with others. Yeah. And yeah. like let the impact drive the price. Yeah. Um, I didn't do it, it. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, you got another side hustle. I didn't do it as a side hustle. I, it was like no one's serving these people. I, I want more drummers to get their dream gigs. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not chasing their dream gigs. Yeah, I'm right. chasing my own dreams. Right, right. I want to make it easier for you to do that. Gosh, I wish I hope you can be not as lost as I was at 22. Mm-hmm. So it's you need to charge something. And if you charge too little, people think it's not valuable. But right now it's ninety nine dollars. Um, I'm keeping that as an intro price. That's going to change with time. But I okay. want it. I want it to change when everyone else is saying this is so valuable. Mm-hmm. And um, it is June 2020, 20, 2023 right now, June. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, for me, um, I, I was always uncomfortable uh, with charging. I would, uh, drum lessons even. I was uncomfortable with charging. I had yeah. this, I have this funky relationship with that. Um, and that's something I'm still working through. But what my MO now is I'm going to charge, but I'm going to give you more value than you're paying me. It's like over, it's like, well, I don't know if this is, relates. Under promising, over delivering. Mm-hmm. Drum tracks from my house, I, I charge less than they're worth. Uh, yeah. Me on the road. Yeah. Tyler Farr gets a deal, man. And I work hard every day I'm with him to make sure he's getting a deal. Mm. And he knows that. And we love each other because of it. Yeah. Um, my coaching. Some people say, wow, coaching is expensive. Yeah. But look at the results. Yeah. Way undercharged. Mm. Way undercharged mm. for what your results are when you actually do things the right way. Right. So that's my way around um, uncomfortable with charging people for things. It always felt like, well, do I am I really serving them if I'm charging them? Yeah. Um, funny, I, I never asked that question of my, you know, chiropractor. Oh, oh no, I'm, I'm happy to pay her. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, I know people can do a Google search, but is there a web? address that and we'll have links in the show yeah notes. yeah sure so uh my website general website is markpoise.com mm-hmm. the the big three the course can be found at courses.markpoise.com right uh my last name is p-o-i-e-s-z yeah. uh for anyone that wants to win a spelling bee <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's amazing I, I i have a little thing on how to remember that uh but uh, i i think i misspelled it for a long time until i was like yeah. i gotta get this right it works on a qwerty keyboard okay <laughs> it, the, three letters in a row three letters in a row you're good that's amazing <laughs> Um, what's going on with Tyler for the rest of the year? So Tyler's got some new music out. He, he, um, just put a single out a week ago and we're going to be touring that a little bit. We've got, uh, starting next week, mid June, we're going to go nuts a little bit. We got, we go West coast, East coast, Germany, Belgium, 
like all over the place. That's awesome. Um, So and it's, you know, all back to back. It's funny. You you, you might say, why are we in the Midwest for two months straight? And then you go East Coast, West Coast, Europe all in one stretch. But, um, you know, busy. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, Not looking forward to the time away from my daughter. But Mm -hmm. the pendulum swung one way in the pandemic and it's going to swing the other way a little bit. And she's at least at the age where she knows on a FaceTime call that she can like address me and interact with me. It's a lot better so, than it used to be, man. Gosh, yeah. I'm so, I know how fortunate I am yeah, to have that. that's great. Do you feel like they're making up for the time that was lost during the pandemic as far as touring? I, I think, you know, just about every artist is, you yeah. know. Um, okay. but, but with a, a new single, um, he's he's making a push and, um, you know, we do a little bit of TV stuff. I think a couple TV things in there. So I'm, I'm just happy to get to do that dance again. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um like I said, you know, when I sit, get to sit down with that kid, it's a privilege and being reminded of that instead of for a couple of years, I was calling it my job and there was pride in that, but I don't even need to call it that. It's just a privilege. I, I feel like, like, I want to throw this out there, but I feel like anybody that's listening that's just kind of curious about your journey or about your gigs and stuff like that, they can find you and contact you. And if you're like in their neighborhood, that. Uh, would it be safe to say they could say, hey, listen, Mark, I I, I heard you on this or I, I you don't know me, but I'm curious to know. Can we can we connect somehow? I'll do anything I can to connect with somebody. Um, not to say that there's always all the time that they want, but right. um, I man, I just believe that you never know what can transpire from any given thing. Yeah. And I don't know the impact I might have on someone. And I also don't know the impact they might have on me. So I. I owe it to myself to yeah. do that. So that that's my... I feel like I've known yeah. you long enough that I, I'm just yeah. going out on a limb yeah. and I'm going to be like, you know what? If I, I mean, I think we have a lot of mutual friends that are the same way, mm-hmm. that are this way. They're just like happy to talk, shop, whatever it is, and kind of help maintain a level in, in this community that is always there for each other, yeah. you know? for that because not only are we happy to share our knowledge and our experience but there is that opportunity that you've recognized that i'm going to learn as much from you as you are from me yeah so let's do it that's my favorite part about being a coach is i'm learning from people all the time yeah and one of my mentors that i worked with said as much they were like if you are not learning from your clients you are a bad coach yeah and i'm like cool this is now a responsibility so i'm showing up to learn and some people will be like well i don't know what you could learn from me like give yourself a chance i'll 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 pick out what i need to learn not to be an idiot check (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel the same way about this i mean I, i i am the i'm the first listener to these interviews and i'm like i gained so much man and this is your third time here had you as the as an individual as a fitness roundtable, and now this, and it's it's always a pleasure to have you, man, on these things. I can't thank you enough for for giving me that open door, and um, just man, what you built! I didn't realize from thirty episode thirty nine to four hundred and twenty <laughs> something. Gosh, like you yeah. really, really, really built something, and I it's, am it's such a tiny cool. little on the on the totem pole of of luminaries that you have had. I I am completely honored to be able to Dude, be in your house. In I, thank you, man. Thanks for being a part of the mix. And I, and I it 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 is gotten easier and easier to produce because I have a community that 
either just feeds our guest list or the work that Zach brings to the table. And it's just like, it's a lot easier to produce this than it was. And so it's just, and, and the benefit hopefully that everyone gets from it, including myself is just far outweighs the, I hate to say work because, yeah. you know, aside from just kind of putting some stuff together and putting it out there, like this is the fun stuff, Yeah, you know? So if I could add one last Please. tidbit on this note, um, we always talk about what makes drummers special, right? We talk about the, com- the community, oh, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was in the news so much this spring about the longest running study on happiness that's been running for 80 some years. Harvard has been doing it. Wow. And they have fu- they have takeaways that now bridge multiple generations. And happiness came down to one factor it, more than socioeconomic status, more than job, more than anything meaningful connections with other human beings yes i heard that so i'm like yeah man us drummers (laughs) we we really we are on to something on the highest level so we have to nurture it yeah 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 you have have to mark thank you man yeah thank you so there you have it, my conversation with mark poise go check out his website check out the big three steps to the big stage he's got the center directory price for 99 dollars There's so much in there that's worth so much more than his asking price. There's also some free things that he is offering that you can check out. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with New York jazz drummer Joe Farnsworth. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, and I'll see you around. Bye-bye.